first thing you're probably thinking to yourselves here, well, if this guy's blind, why is he wearing glasses then? Hello and welcome to another episode. Today's guest is the marvellous, the adventurous, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, Cubby. How are you doing, Cubby? You alright? Alright, how are we doing, Marvin? I'm good. Good to have you on, man. How are you, how are you keeping? Everything all good? Good. Cold weekend in Glasgow. It's been snowing. Oh, but at least you, you might get to see Santa Claus. No, <laughs> Mate, I, I'm not going to see anything. <laughs> oh, no, you make <laughs> Fuck. Sorry. <laughs> I'm fucking stuck up. What? Sorry. <laughs> that's the best start you could have hoped for. Oh, or the worst. <laughs> that, that's the best. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say to a one-arm guy, give that guy a hand. Come on. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, it's 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 a good good pleasure to have you on. I had uh, I, I, well, I, you know, a few of the people that we've had on, and I think um, I had um, last week. I had um, the fantastic, the awesome Colin Higgins last week. Yeah, he's still recovering from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The trauma involved in that interview. Yeah. Oh, you heard it. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. I heard that. Oh, God. Yeah, I, I got myself into a bit of an iffy one there as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, it went well. It was, it was interesting. Oh no, yeah. Colin's a cool guy, man. I, I, I didn't know what, yeah, I mean, I don't know what I would have done in that situation where you got punched by that woman as well fuck well i was actually on stage at the time so i didn't have a clue what was going on and um it was a triple hander so graham mackie come up on stage uh, and i could hear the screaming and shouting and things banging and slamming and graham came up on stage i says what what's going on though when i'd finished and he says i don't know but colin's over there covered in blood so like, all right <laughs> Let's go and find out what's happened. <laughs> he, 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 oh God, that was such a close one. There. Imagine if he didn't have the footage. There all sorts of things could have happened That's to him. I think was, his fringe was done. His probably career was done. Because once, if he can't prove he didn't at her, he was screwed. Even with the blood on his mouth, would yeah. do you think they would have still picked her side? That's hard to say, isn't it? No, that'd be too easy to say yes, but my feeling is probably, unless she's got a back catalogue of doing that sort of thing. Yeah, I, th I think with a lot of these things, it's it's more guilty till proven innocent when it should be uh, should yeah. be uh, innocent till proven guilty. But in most cases, it's guilty till proven innocent. Yeah. But my, my favourite bit about that was the, the cop done exactly the same thing you did. And asked me if I'd seen anything. So I thought, no. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Back in 2010, if you want me to describe something. <laughs> oh, uh, comedy is an interesting, it's, 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 a, 
what, what, what brings you to the, what, what, what brought you to the world of comedy, comedy, cubby? Like it's, yeah. it's a mad world, isn't it? Comedy. It is, but it's fantastic. Imagine getting paid to go on stage and talk to people and have a laugh. That's, that's unbelievable in my mind. Um, but it's awesome. Um, my, my story is that my eyesight just got too bad that my choices were, were coming less and less and less to the point I thought, what can I still do here? And, um, everybody's got their own journey, but one that a lot of people seem to have is they go to an open night uh, as an audience member and think to themselves, I could probably do better than this. Um, and that's exactly what I've done. I went back two or three months later and once I stood up there and performed for the first time, it just clicked. I thought, this is something where this my eyesight might not even be an issue. Mm. It, does it when <laughs> did you what did your first gig go well? Because that 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 that's often the key point, isn't it? That gets people going. And like first few gigs, you get that big laugh, and then you hooked yeah. in it. It did go well, but as you'd expect, people support you a lot in the beginning. So I had a lot of workmates and stuff like that there. And um, it was probably quite unsophisticated humour and probably darker than it should have been. Um, but it was a great introduction and it gave me enough confidence to go and do it again and again and again. And I caught the bug. <laughs> Get that radioactive spider bite and that's it. It is, it's, it is probably... If they if they did a few tests on the drugs of cocaine, heroin, alcohol, cigarettes, co the the drug of making people laugh on a comedy stage, they really tested the addictiveness of it. It yeah. probably come quite close. Well, it's the endorphin release, isn't it? Um, not to mention the sheer adrenaline when you're off stage. That's when I feel it. I don't get any nerves going on, but if I if I really smash a gig, you get that adrenaline rush and. You chatter like a budgie until about two in the morning. Oh, yeah. Oh, and when it goes badly as well, you cry yourself to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, sometimes. <laughs> uh, well, so I've got a... With... Um, but you, you've done all sorts of things with comedy. Like, you went on Britain's Got Talent. You dealt with the, the nasty Simon Cow. I mean, <laughs> how do they... How, how does like the Britain got talent experience compared to the mad gigs we do in comedy? Well, it's, um, for one, it's, uh, to an extent, it's your material, but you're very much told what you can and cannot say. And no, it has to go through Ofcom and everyone. It's not as if you can just go on stage and say what you like. Um, and, and you've not got a relationship with the judges beforehand either. Simon was my biggest uh, fan in the end, um, which I wasn't expecting at all. Is what's you did? Did you speak? Do you speak to them like off stage when like once you finished, or is it just like once you've done your thing, it's all done? No, because it's a live show for the audience. I was at the London Palladium, and I was like, this is a full house, probably what is it about two and a half thousand ish, and um, it's a show of about ten people. And like any comedy show, really, just that it's longer, um, only one break in the middle. And what they'll do is when you go on stage, they'll speak to you for a good five, six, seven minutes to make sure you're comfortable and stuff, but, which obviously is you don't get to see. 
And the end product, you don't get to see the full version either because in my edition, I probably was on stage for about 12 minutes and then they cut that down to, into the edit and then they talk to you after it for a good period of time as well. But as far as socialising goes, there's a whole show to go on after that, so you don't really get that opportunity. Hmm. Oh, so there's a whole... Okay. And is is it is it craft... Right, no, actually, I've got to be careful how I say this, because they are... They, they, there's a lit... Because I know that I've watched X Factor and I've spoken to a few guests afterwards and they they say that it's very carefully created to make sure it's a good show. Do you get well, that feel? Of course, should... it's, it's TV and they'll not give you all the information. So every single part of it is controlled and they know what's going to happen, you don't. And all the time is allocated, you know. It's, it's, nobody's going to look bad on TV, are they? No. They're, they're going to try and edit everything to make that look as good as it can be. Yeah. In some cases, when they do the fake laughs, it could probably help a few comedians. <laughs> I've heard about that as well. I'll not say what comedian it was, but it was a big, big comedian. And one of my mates was at the recording of the solo show, and it went that bad in the theatre, they turned the cameras around at the end, and ask the audience to laugh for a minute so that they could put it into the, the DVD. So <laughs> everything can be made to look good. Oh, and they, they can they can make it look bad as well, but I won't go in there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if it suits them. And with like, being on the circuit and like, does it, with, with, being blind does it help and does it also give some drawbacks as well like people try and like they talk in a way that's not quite right or they like obviously you're gonna a lot of the times people aren't going to be as brutal with their heckles i mean sometimes they are but most of the time they're going to be nicer because they don't look like a dickhead but then other I times they're offensive without realizing i probably agree i get a, a little bit more leeway um, because who's wanting to be the first to shout at the blind guy, you know? Um, but if you're not any good, at some point, you're going to get heckled. So you just need to make sure that your material is valid enough for everybody in that room. Um, but the biggest thing for me being blind is just logistically getting to places. You know, it's, it's not as if I can just decide to go on my own. So there's always the financial side of that. And in, in Scotland, is it more like you have to drive to a lot of gigs? Because in London, one of the things that people have said, even though the pay is dreadful, it's quite easy to travel into different gigs across the city and gig more than once a, gig, once a night. Yeah, well, for me, Glasgow's easy. I just get a taxi there by myself. But if I'm going to Edinburgh, it's transport or being driven. Or if you're going to Aberdeen, it's, it's even more difficult. Or if you're going closer to down south. Basically, anywhere outside Glasgow, I'm needing a guide, um, which is usually a friend who's half smashed. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the best kind of friend. <laughs> or the worst. <laughs> Depends on the day of the week, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. It, but I always hear this about Glasgow and like Edinburgh. Like They have... like. 
they have a proper beef with each other. How bad is it as a comedian? Do you really have to change your sort of set if you go into each city? First time I went from Glasgow to gig in Edinburgh, it still went well, but they weren't as enthusiastic as they were in Glasgow. And I did explain that Edinburgh's kind of looked on as uh, kind of Britain's loudest smilers to some extent. But um, then you realise there's, there's that international crowd and you can go to Edinburgh. Well, I was in, up in Edinburgh on Wednesday and a gig of 60 people, there's one Scottish person. So um, the dynamic's completely different. But as you get better, you don't need to change the material as much because you, because you want to appeal to as many people as possible when you're a comedian. So if you can do that, you should be able to go anywhere. Is is there a flip side to that though? In because you so there's a lot of great comics who don't do that. Like in Edinburgh, they have good shows, or there's like Jerry Sadowitz. For I mean, he is successful as a bastard, really. But no, <laughs> but if you try and bend over to other audiences, does that take away from being good for those that like you? Well, the, the, being involved in stand-up, everybody wants to find their own audience, don't they? And eventually that's the hope that people follow you rather than you having to go out and look for them and eventually you're doing solo shows and the likes. Um, so I tend not to try and change my material too much for a place, um, but it is always good to discuss the place you're in, I suppose. Just yeah, as a little as a little bit of like a precursor and, and like yeah. give a bit of respect. I mean, if I went to Glasgow or Edinburgh with an England shirt, that would be complete. That would that that would potentially cause a few issues depending on the venue I went to. Well, not so much a venue. The crowd instantly in a Glasgow crowd, you'd split it in two, <laughs> maybe, maybe even more. Um, <laughs> But it depends if you came on as a character act or something and it was part of the act, it would be accepted. Edinburgh, I don't think Andy would blink an eyelid because 90% of the audience are English anyway. Oh, is that the common joke <laughs> in Scotland that Edinburgh's <laughs> English? <laughs> yeah, it's just under Edinburgh, it just says, Welcome to England. It does, it does have a, I mean, I've only been up to Edinburgh during the festival, but it does have always like a light feel about it. And I've, from what I see. Yeah, I, I, I prefer gigging in Edinburgh because I feel I learn more, basically because of that dynamic of the audience being completely different from anywhere else in the UK, probably. You're going to have people from all over the world in that one room, and you you don't know who it's going to be. You also get a lot of Americans and Australians, but you're getting a lot of Eastern Europeans and people from all walks of life as well. What you don't get is many glass regions, to be honest. <laughs> I, I, they, they probably, I mean, I don't a lot of people move out of Edinburgh during the fringe, and a lot of glass regions are like, right, the Edinburgh fringe is on, let's make sure we're away from that. Well, even outside the fringe, like I, was, I, I was gigging at the Edinburgh stand over a weekend, and my friend says to me, why don't we just stay up there on the Saturday night and make the most of it. We thought, right, we'll, we'll look for somewhere to stay. And do you know the cheapest place that we could find that was viable was a room in Glasgow. <laughs> 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 so what's the point? So we just went home. Oh, it's quite mad, isn't it? 
this yeah. during the fringe the i looked at good rental places and the with i was what's the name of theater digs list that's like the the main accommodation supply in edinburgh fringe yeah and they yeah, the best place they had was in glasgow for 800 pounds for the month yeah that's brutal but the thing is i for our friend show we i just traveled through every day which was exhausting in itself but the nightmare was the cycling championships were in glasgow and it was just an absolute nightmare to get through the city to even get to edinburgh <laughs> i've never hated cyclists so much in my life i'll come to london you'll hate them a lot more <laughs> The thing, the thing that you don't like about them is when they, yeah, well, yes, yeah, some of them, they're not all. There should be a license to riding a bike on a road as well, not just yeah. driving a car. Yeah, I know you're not paying any tax to be there. It is what it is. Oh. Yeah. What, what, what's your? We live. We comedy is a fascinating place you've got all sorts of mad great people in it what would you say sums up the people in comedy because there's so there's some great people in it but there's some very scrupulous people in it i would always say i've always had a really positive experience in comedy and um, i found that the further you got the chain and um, most people are fantastic happy to talk to you have a beer with you and talk to you about their experiences. I think that the worst part of the comedy is probably at the bottom end when you're attending open nights and it's probably a bit more kind of cut and thrust and people trying to get spots. But as you can further up the chain, people are fantastic. Because they're, they're not in competition with you as such anymore. You know, you're just there doing a job of work like everybody else. And genuinely, you're not going to encounter many people but every workplace has got an asshole, though, isn't it? Well, you're going to encounter somebody at some point. Yeah, that that's something that I think a lot of comedians don't mention as much. Did I don't think that I've ever had a job where I've not had someone that I didn't like or who wasn't an asshole. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, but as I said, in my experience, I've generally, without lying, got on just about everybody, and that that makes the experience all the more better for me. Okay, and then you met this annoying Asian bloke from London, and then it all changed. You're Asian? Oh, <laughs> I'm English, Irish, and Chinese. You got blonde hair as well. What's good on you? Yes, I have. I have. I have. <laughs> I'm a blonde. You know, that's. <laughs> oh. I, I offer I, some Americans think that I'm white when I go on a podcast, but right. I, I, when I fly people for the gigs that I run in London, some people think that I'm white. But <laughs> look at my like, I, I my I just look at my 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 parents or or listen to them speak, and you will see listen to them speak, you will know that they're not a heritage. Yeah. <laughs> Well, my dad's from Liverpool, so I don't know. Is he English? Is he not? Because there's a big beef with <laughs> Liverpool and the rest of the UK. I don't know. I, they, I heard some of them say that they would side with, they would, if there was, they would like to. Yeah, they don't consider themselves English. A lot of scousers, do they? 
Well, I think in the north of England is kind of like that, isn't it? There is a north-south divide, 100%. I feel like I hear that the gigs pay a lot more and there's it seems to be a lot more... I don't know about Scotland, but in England, there seems to be a lot more things happening up north than there is down south. And like we're sort of catching up with things up, up north. Um, the unfortunate thing is, is I, I don't gig much in England, just the logistical side and the cost of doing it. So it's something I want to change. But um, so I don't really know how the pay scale is across the UK. But what I do know is unless you're a headline, it's very difficult to make a massive living at a comedy. You, you have to back up a lot of other stuff. Yeah, I've always... I always hear, and, and I mean, unless you're Susie McCabe or like you're you're Darren Cornell, I suppose you you got to really you got to really push it, I suppose. Yeah, you, you got to find other ways and have other sources of income, and um, because it's not as if you can go to the same club every second weekend. Be lucky if you get the the club, you know, two or three times a year, and you know, it's a finite amount of times you can go, so. Yeah, you need to find other types of gig that you can play at or other avenues of income. Do you do anything on the side to, like, alongside comedy? Yeah, I work full-time at the minute. Um, so comedy is very much like a nighttime, midweek uh, and weekend thing for me. So it's an exhausting week a lot of the time, but... It's so enjoyable that that doesn't really matter. So I'm I'm guessing what are you what would you do as your main job? I'm I'm gonna guess your main <laughs> job is something to do with tech. <laughs> I'm actually an airline pilot. Whoa. <laughs> <As> a, <laughs> no, I'm a I'm a customer and business support assistant, which tells you fuck all. <laughs> So, yeah, basically, what the IT. So, I mean, at least, at least when I'm doing the comedy, I like it when people point and laugh at me. <laughs> <laughs> do you get some unscrupulous calls? Do you get any any? Have you had any weird calls that have been like made you question humanity? No, 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 nothing like that. No, uh, are, we, are we talking in the, the working life or the comedy life? The the working life, the working nah, life. Nah, the working life. The, the type of job I've got is just um, you do it during the day and you forget about it as soon as you leave the building. My creative outlet is comedy um, and that's what I focus my energies on because before my eyesight went, I had a lot of other kind of hobbies and things that I would concentrate my energies on it, but as, as gradually those disappeared and get taken away, um, and as I said and explained earlier about how we get into comedy, um, I thought I'd finally found something that, you know, I can do this. My eyesight shouldn't be a problem. If anything, it might help. Does, does it give, I mean, one thing, I mean, I have, I'm a, I'm a mixed race man, I'm Asian, and I do a character to Zoro. There's a talking point and that gets a bit of a laugh, but being blind gives you, like, there's a bit of tension I get sometimes during a room, but that gives you something to talk about, doesn't it? That gives you, like, another, the first thing, like, a thing to 
make yeah. a joke of. Well, it's the, the, the first thing that I need to bring up when I go on, but then half the time of that is this a wind-up. So you talk about your life and how it affects you, then gradually what we tend to do is move away from it completely so that it's not really mentioned, and then now and again you'll flash back to it um, or spend a few minutes on it. Because the problem is, I'm not a problem, but um, if I'm talking about a story about something that happened in my life, then obviously my blindness has going to impact that. So it's part of every story, it's part of what I do. So it always has to be mentioned and it's always going to be part of the set. Yeah, it's part of... It has to be addressed at the start, isn't it? Yeah. Otherwise people are going to get, ah. Oh. Yeah, it's part of who I am and I need to accept that and the audience need to understand that as well. Does it... With... But does it... Has it helped you improve other areas of your life? Because I've, I've seen with athletes or I've seen with people that have... Like, you see athletes as they get older, they have to prove other aspects of their game to sort of keep up with other people. With, has it helped you and other in some ways in that you've learned things or you've had to improve parts of your life that you wouldn't have improved had it not happened? I suppose, I've not analysed that, to be honest, but I would say that there is a lot of things that my blindness have had a knock-on effect to that, because you can do a certain thing or it gives you a certain perspective on maybe when other people have encountered a problem and you think, well, people will judge me because they maybe don't know I'm blind and I've just bumped into something or something. Then you realise, well, what if that guy or that girl's got autism or what if they've got something else going on? So I think if it's maybe taught me to be more tolerant and maybe not be as judgmental towards people, Oh, yeah, I get a lot of that. You see that all the time, don't you, with yeah. people? We're always but looking for something to gossip. Yeah, but what is infuriating, probably any disability, is um, people automatically think you've been lobotomised at some point. No, the, the most infuriating thing is, like, if you're with somebody, the person will start talking to them as if you're incapable of uh, creating sound. Uh, I mean, I remember... Quite recently as well, like just uh, during the week there, I was gigging and the sound guy was asking, do you want a flash? And I'm like, no, I don't want a flash. He's like, but I need to give you a flash. I was like, mate, you can fire a strobe light up there. I don't fucking care. <laughs> I'll come off <laughs> when I've had my 10 minutes. Don't worry about it. <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> <laughs> he just walked away. <laughs> uh, but... I, I, I still don't know if he flashed me. <laughs> But he knew that you were blind and like you told him all of that stuff. So what's he do? Like, what's... I don't know. It's just like it's a mental block. Like, even in the pub recently as well, like, I bought a couple of pints and the barmaid handed the money to my mate rather than hand it to me. <laughs> what? <laughs> he could have taken it, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, strange things happen. I watched this in a podcast a while ago, but there's this guy who people can tell that he was blind, but he was in a gym and okay. people, a girl thought that he was staring at her, but he <laughs> didn't know that. And they were, they removed him because they thought he was harassing her. <laughs> Do you get that, any bad moments like that? It did. It happened to beat the frog about three, four months ago. I was, uh, 
sitting, I wasn't up in the mezzanine level kind of thing, I was down the front and we were sharing a table um, with two other girls and I was on in the second section and it wasn't until I came back off that one of them said, I thought you'd been staring at my tits all night. <laughs> <laughs> Which I replied, I was. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get a number? No, I'm just... She was a lesbian. Oh! <laughs> she was telling me her girlfriend. Oh, <laughs> oh. Yeah, the, but that, that's that's the thing, and I, th- I said this in the podcast interview with someone else, that I really love about comedy more than any other art form is the live moments that you don't plan. Yeah. Yeah, the happy accidents. <laughs> I, I absolutely love them. It's just incredible what happens. Yeah, there, there's just shows that you'll be part of where you look back and think, that was an incredible show that nobody's ever going to know about or experience again, that everybody in that room experienced together. Um, and I think that's wonderful. That's what comedy's all about. That's why I hated lockdown so much. I didn't do the Zoom thing or the car park thing with people flashing lights at you. Oh God, yeah. No, they they was they was something else. I mean, you you get the punch you comedian said a joke and then the punchline would come in like a minute later. Yeah. And the thing is if they're flashing the lights, how the fuck would it ever not went well? <laughs> Just send some sort of funny <laughs> noise, like a fart noise or something. But there was one in Scotland I get told about where they used to peep their horns. But then the neighbours around the area started to complain. So that got knocked in the head. <laughs> what oh, night is <laughs> What night is this? I want to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But you're right, it's a wonderful thing to be involved in. Um, and the sad thing is as well, there's so many incredible acts out there that, that the general public will never know or never see on TV. There's also a big perception as well, unless, so a lot of people assume that if you haven't been on telly, that you ain't a big comic or you ain't successful. Yeah. They say, are you still doing it? Yeah. Yeah, that, if you're not on TV, you don't exist to most of the public. But, and comedy is one of the things where people don't treat it like in the inequity. And in a lot of art forms, it's not treated as much because if you just look at it, it's just someone getting a karaoke sound system yeah. and just saying their thoughts. Yeah, but also they're saying their own words and there's no safety net as a comic, as you well know. Um, if it goes wrong, it's, it's going wrong. Um, whereas you could be part of a band or part of a team or whatever. So comedy is it's the highest highs, but kind of the lowest lows as well. And, yeah, it's... I, I think we're all mad for doing it. I <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, then, but then you, as soon as you pick up that mic on stage, you're like, ah, yes, this is what it's about. My things here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what? What's been like the maddest gig you've been to recently, and who's been a comedian that's taught you the most recently at a gig? Well, maddest gig, um, 
I've never really had a bad experience at gigs. Obviously, the one at the fringe when Colin got smacked in the mouth was entertaining. <laughs> um, another one of us that was it was an open night. wasn't It was a while ago now, but and uh, one of the acts uh, started kind of getting into this rant at a couple in the front row of the audience, kind of really angry, vile stuff, and the guy in the front row just had a flight of fright moment and just stood up and smashed the comet with a chair. Oh! <laughs> so that was interesting. So what happened to Colin was light, light stuff. What's the, the, the fringe? Yeah. And um, what happened to him at the fringe or? No, I'm saying, oh, no, 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 not the other thing that happened. I'm saying that, uh, like the, 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 so you've seen quite a few instances where comedians have been attacked then? Um, well, I've heard them. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but, um, not too much. I mean, most of the time, it's just a bit of abuse or somebody getting taken out of the room. But that's the, that's the exception. That's the twice that I've been involved in where somebody's been physically hit. Um, but you were, you were also asking who's... What was the second part of that question about? Who's a comic that's taught you taught you something new about comedy recently? Because this is a question I asked uh, Wilson yeah. Milton, and he mentioned something that he learned from uh, I can't remember his name, uh, Sean Mayer, about how he mentioned a real specific thing about a jacket, and he still remembered it even now. So he learned something about complete specificity into the joke. <laughs> I tend to pick up something from every act I watch, whether it's um, a good thing or a bad thing, you know, what not to do. Or, I mean, last weekend I was on with Gavin Webster at a Glasgow stand, and it was just great to listen to Gavin. I've heard Gavin quite a lot, but just something as simple as how he can put an emphasis on a word, and it just makes something so much funnier. And it, it got me thinking, is there places where I can do that? What's what's what, what what was the bit? No, you can't say this bit because then the, no, don't 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 don't. But you know you know what I mean. It's just how people use their voices. That's what interests me because I think a lot of the time once you get to a certain level, it's how you're using your voice that makes you so entertaining for the audience. A lot of the time, the jokes aren't as maybe. I don't know, I can't say that it was good, but it, I tend to think it's how you use your voice. You know, some comics could get up there and read us an instruction manual and be funny. Is Yeah, oh yeah, I heard this about a few comics like Jenny Godley. I heard that just the way she talks makes it funny. Yeah. And I think that, that that's something where I'm kind of keeping in mind, just how can you use your voice better? Um, and something that I'm doing recently as well is using sound, probably because it's something that I'm more aware of in everyday life is just sounds. Um, and I, and I tend to, I'm trying to bring that into my act as well. Is the, is the a thing that I can often tell you, you can often tell if it, the gig's going to be good, bad, or like going to be a bit iffy? Like there's things that I can tell from the way you get set up 
or the way the promoter responds or the way the audience behaves, I can tell whether the gig's going to be a struggle for me or whether yeah. it's going to be an awkward night. Yeah, through experience, you can you, you get very good at reading a room. Um, but then there's the occasions where you think some people that you can hear are acting weird before it starts, just calm down and they're not a problem. Um, then all of a sudden, some nutcase from the back starts shouting at stuff. It's just, uh, but generally, the, the more you do it, you, you can read rooms better and better. And sometimes you think, maybe I should change this material to suit this audience a wee bit better. Hmm. Otherwise, you, yeah, it is what it is. Now, for anyone that's um, listening on the podcast now, and they want to find out about Cubby, they want to find your address, they want to find your your number, they want to find your Tinder profile, <laughs> <laughs> or if they want to find your email or face. Now, if anyone wants to find out about you, Cubby, what? How do they do it? And what is the one bit of advice you'd give to a young cubby now? And what would be the advice you'd give to a new comic just starting their journey to comedy? The advice I'd give to a young cubby is don't get into that room in Amsterdam that you did in 2008. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what, what I'd probably say to I get good advice at the start of my comedy career, and it was uh, the audience don't lie. So always, even now, I record every single gig so that I can see how how it went. And obviously, try and take out every gig where things need improving. Um, the advice I give myself now, for this standpoint, I would just say, just do what you're doing. No. There's no one way in comedy. You just it evolves. Um, what worked for somebody doesn't necessarily work for somebody else. We've all got different journeys. We've all got different styles. And that's what makes it so brilliant. Yeah. And if you want to get in touch with me, probably the easiest way is just find me on Facebook under Cubby Comedian. Okay. And what about the address? <laughs> 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 I've not written that down, sorry. <laughs> okay, guys. So sorry to disappoint you guys. You won't be able to find out about Cubby's address, but you know how to find out about him. Are we putting the links there? Um we've got one more interview coming up tomorrow, and I'm gonna be interviewing an LA gangster. Well, an LA guy that used to sell <laughs> drugs for his father. So it, this is the full story of him, Cubby. So he, if he survives the weekend, you wanna interview him. <laughs> Exactly, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he's, he's, yeah, he, that man's had a character, character, a colorful life. He was involved in human trafficking, selling drugs, and he talks about how he turned from a life of crime into being a comedian. So, yeah. Well, definitely, I'll listen to that one. Oh, that's, yeah, me too. I'll listen to it double twice just to make sure I don't give him my address details and he doesn't bother me. <laughs> Uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode and I will see you guys soon. Take care. <laughs>